Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. And it's ball four, hard to believe. A four-pitch walk in this situation. And here comes Mike Schilt. He is on the top step, and he's going to make a change. Back up the middle, and it gets through. Marisnik coming in. Around to score on his heels. There is Alcantara, and it's a one-run game. Fair ball inside the bag, down the right field line. Rizzo coming in to score. They're going to send Baez. Here comes Javi, and the Cubs lead it 7-6. Wow! And the first win since 1979, April 29th to be exact, in Atlanta, when trailing by five or more through eight. Book Shambi with the call on the other side of things. Uh, he was next to me in the booth last night at Bush Stadium. We talked before the game. We were saying, hey, how you doing? How you? I don't want to talk to Boog after the game. Not after the game. That was a tough one for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I would have to say, not going out on a limb here, it's the toughest loss this season. And uh, I was trying to figure out in the last five, ten years, a tougher loss in regular season play the Cardinals have had. Mm. And maybe it's just recency bias, but I couldn't really think of one. That was a very, very tough loss for the St. Louis Cardinals. There's no sugarcoating it. It was a brutal loss. That's BK. I'm Danny Mac. Danny Mac show on a Wednesday. And we're going to visit with uh, Ed Lynch. Uh, who worked in the front office for the Chicago Cubs for a number of years. But we'll dive into this one, and uh, there is a ton to get into. Good morning, BK. Good morning, Dan. How you doing today? I, I personally prefer our shows that start with your highlights. I appreciate but, you know, that. It, it is what it is. Well, let's start with uh, a few of the moves, and we'll dissect what's going on. So uh, Mike Schilt decided to pull Johan Oviedo uh, midway through the game. He was around 80, 85 pitches, and... I really didn't have a problem with it. I, I said to Ricky off the air, so it was in the moment, not you know being hindsight. I said, I don't know. I said, I, I really like how Johan's throwing the ball, but I understand what's going on here. It's now 17 starts that he's had and hasn't won a game. So 16 going into last night, and you're trying to get him something to make sure if anything would unravel quickly, as we saw in the ninth, baseball happens, and it can unravel quickly. So you want him to have a positive feeling. You also have a lead. You also have the big three available. And you also had Ian Happ coming up, who's had his number. Yep. Three for four, home run or two, and a walk. So, totally understand the move. I was okay with that move. You? I actually agreed with it. Yeah. I thought it was the right move. I asked the question in the post game, and um, Schilt didn't love getting questioned about it, which I totally understand. He's well within his rights to take exception with the questions. I'm asking because I'm curious what the decision was based upon, and he did actually give some legitimate insight about the finger. Apparently, there was something going on with Oviedo's finger in that spot, and I had no issue with it. You, you trust Henesis Cabrera to come in there and lock in the game. And at that point, you're only up four to one. It's not a significant lead. And this team has to be aggressive right now. So I didn't have an issue with it. Try to go get Oviedo his first win in the big leagues. Keep those good feelings going after he had such a tremendous start in AAA as well. I had no problem with it whatsoever. So then you jump ahead to the ninth. You're leading 6-1. You feel like, okay, we got the game in hand. If things get out of hand, you got Alex Reyes and Luis Garcia starts the inning off with... 
a strikeout of Patrick Wisdom that of gets course. through Yachty. And, you know, that play's got to be made. It wasn't made. Then you get a chopper to short. Play's got to be made. Not easy, but got to be made. Uh, you know, you can look at why didn't he go this direction, that direction. Look, Garcia got you two outs. Should have been two outs and nobody on. And, uh, you know, at that point with a five-run lead, I'm not bringing in my closer. You know, I'm not. It's a non-save situation. I'm not doing that. But now you have a save situation. And I'd be curious to know what Alex Reyes was at that point. At a five-run lead in the ninth inning, you know, is he kind of mentally shut down? You're thinking, well, we got this game in hand. And really, you did. I mean, he got he did his job. But then he walked the next guy, and that's when you heard some of the highlights there. The wheels came off. It happened quickly. Reyes came in, didn't have great control, and uh, Gallegos had to clean it up, and all of a sudden he has his first blown save in the big league. So his string is snapped at 24, and it's a, uh, a brutal loss for the St. Louis Cardinals. I thought that ninth inning was more about the options than it was about Mike Schilt's decision-making. And here's what I mean by that. In that spot, your options are basically, and I, I'm kind of operating under the assumption that you didn't want to go to Andrew Miller there because you had some righties coming up, uh, which makes sense. Your options are essentially Reyes or Gallegos, your two back-end guys who you probably wanted to save for tomorrow, if possible, in such a Absolutely. lengthy game. You didn't have John Gant. I've heard a lot of guy, a lot of people mentioning you could have gone to John Gant. He threw 36 pitches the day before. I'm, I think it was two and a third the night before. I'm going to guess he probably wasn't available, or you, at least you certainly preferred not to go that route if possible. So your other options are Luis Garcia or TJ McFarland. You'd prefer to avoid both of them, frankly, right now. If you're if you're Mike Schilt, would be my guess if you had him on Truth Serum. But it's a six to one game, so you go with a guy to try to get you out of the game. For me. Given the situation the team or that the team is in right now, how far back they are, how you're not at that point 10 days in front of the trade deadline, I would have liked to have seen him get aggressive. Maybe you do go Gallegos or Reyes there. Very few managers do. I would have liked to have seen it, but very few do. So I kind of understand the decision, even if I personally disagreed with it. It's much easier for me to make that decision from my couch than it is for Schilt, who has to go out there today and have somebody available at the back end. I'll respectfully disagree totally fair and uh that's baseball five run lead i've got to be able to to say that tj mcfarland or garcia can get me three outs and keep a five run lead that's it Absolutely. i mean you know and and i'm thinking if you're a manager to bk you're mike schilt you're saying okay i had to use cabrera tonight and it was out of necessity as you mentioned it was a 4-1 game at that point i i gotta keep it I got to keep it a three-run lead. He's my best bet at that time. That's his role. Um, but now I got a five-run lead in the ninth. Ooh, I'm I'm kind of playing with house money here. You know, I I can get three outs and not get five runs in the ninth inning, as Boog Shambi described. It's historic yeah. for the Cubs. So I'm staying away from Alex Reyes and I'm staying away from Gallegos because then tomorrow, if things go to script, I got my guy Wayno who's giving me six plus. Mm-hmm. So now I got two guys that are available in game three so you manage in the moment undoubtedly you're trying to win the game undoubtedly 100 percent. but i'm also thinking i got house money here now i got my two guys tomorrow so i respectfully disagree um but again that's that's the beauty of baseball we're all sitting on a couch going out oh, man what's he doing i wouldn't take oviedo out i would i was up in the booth going i said to ricky i leaned over we're in the break and i said i just don't know you know i i, I and this is not knowing about the finger situation i said I under, totally understand what he's doing here because you, you want to get this kid a win. He, he's really, in a lot of ways, saved your bacon. 
because even though he doesn't have a win, he's given you innings and he should be developing in the minor leagues. And he pitched so well last he night. Did. He deserved a win. He he was great for them. And and he he bailed you out last year during the the COVID season when you didn't have anybody and you forced him into it. So, man, I'm trying everything I can to get this kid a win and get that off his back. Totally understand it. Um, and again, in the ninth, I'm thinking, okay, I got Garcia. I got McFarland. I mean, they can get me three outs and not five runs, right? They got to be. That's what I'm thinking. But yeah. baseball happens. And so that's why I stay away from a non-save situation with those guys. Now, I, I do think it's worth looking forward to how Reyes bounces back. Now, he's been through so much in his career, but it goes back to what even I said a couple of days ago. If Alex Reyes is even going to be a starter, doesn't matter what role it is, he's going to have to cut down on strikeouts. Now, he's gotten away with it this year because his stuff is elite. It is ridiculous. There are guys missing things by two feet. These are major league hitters, but he didn't throw strikes last night and it cost you. So, you know, I'm sure Mike Schilt is playing it over a thousand times in his mind. At least, should I have gotten Alex out earlier? Should I have gone to, you know, if I got Gallegos up, do I bring him in earlier at 6'5"? That's debatable, but he's my guy, and that's my closer, and he's been perfect this year, albeit some ups and downs, but the bottom line is, did you get it done? And he's gotten it done. He just didn't get it done last night. It was the first time all year. You know, that's that's the tough part about it is, like, I, I – have a really tough time criticizing Schultz for bringing in Reyes in that spot. I, I know he's a guy that walks a lot of batters and you're, you got the bases loaded already and that makes it difficult, but you still had a little bit of wiggle room there. And he's a guy that's gotten out of situations like that in the past. And he was perfect. He was literally perfect in those situations prior think he, to last night. And I think that's, you know, if you're a manager, you're saying that's been my guy. And I've I've got to stick with him because until he proves me wrong, he's my guy. I mean, how many times did he have situations like this and wiggled out of it? And I'll be honest, I thought he was going to wiggle out of it last night, too. you know. And so then you go to the ballpark today and you're saying and our show today is, boy, that was crazy in the ninth, but they got away with it. You would rather have not to go to Alex Reyes and Gallegos, but they got away with it. They won the first two. They're a game above 500. That's not the case. And why I say it was one of the, the tougher losses is because of many of the things we just talked about. It would have gotten you a game above 500. You would have gotten Oviedo's first win, and it's more separation and a nail in the coffin of the Cubs. So, and, and I'm telling you, at the ballpark, too, there's a good feeling right now around yep. this team. So that one was a kick in the gut. And you know what? That's the beauty of baseball, too, as cliche as it is. You have another game today and how to play. Randy was saying, you know, players have a way of, you know, not forgetting about it. And I said, you know what? That one stings. No doubt. They go in the clubhouse. That's a quiet room, I'm sure. But uh, you go to the ballpark today and players, I think out of survival, for lack of a better way to, to put it, mentally compartmentalize how to do these things. They, they are just able to turn the page. Because you have to. Because yep. if, if you don't, it, it just think about it in your everyday life. If you have something like that, it just eats at you. It eats at you and eats at you. can't go on. You have to. Now, as a fan, you wake up today and you're irate. And I understand that. I, you know, I told the guys on the, and Michelle, I walked out of the booth. I said, see you tomorrow, Rick. And I had my bag and I just <laughs> got out. You know, I was upset. I was frustrated. But you know what? That That's the beauty of this thing. And that, you know, you have Molina going uh, or, uh, excuse me, Wainwright going tonight. But going back to the ninth inning, you know, that play on Wisdom to start the inning? Got to be made. Got to be made by Molina. It wasn't. You know, that happens. 
played short, probably needs to be made. Yep. Not easy, but that's all of a sudden two outs, and you're you're saying, hey, this this move works. So it just didn't work last night. Yeah, one thing that I will say, um, and I know we just disagree on this, and it like you said, it's baseball. These are baseball decisions, Fine. and that's what that, that's what this is for, right? And that's what the sports talk format is for. I I don't get fired up over people getting fired up. I 100%, just don't. I'm with you. I I've been very surprised by some of the reaction to last night's post game presser, but whatever. Um, the reason why I would have considered Gallegos at the beginning of the ninth is because of all of the reasons that you just said. Trade deadline 10 days away. You're in a really good spot right now as a team. You go into tonight, and I'm thinking about the next day starter. I'm pretty confident Wayno's going to get you through six or seven at a minimum. You do have potentially tonight John Gann available for you. So if he needs to go more than an inning, you might be able to get that out of John Gant tonight to bridge that gap to get to Reyes. And at that point, you wouldn't have to use Reyes last night. So that is all the reasons why I probably would have leaned in that direction. Again, that being said, I also am understanding very few managers would have actually made that move. Very, very few. It would have been super aggressive on his part by his usage with the pin. And maybe he would have gotten questioned after the game as to, hey, you're up six to one. Did you really need to burn Giovanni Gallegos in that spot? And if he would have said in response, I'm going with my best guy, we need to rack up some wins. I would have been like, yeah, I agree with that assessment. I think it really comes down to simply this. I should be able to count on others than the big three to get me three outs. 100%. With a five run lead. But right now he can't. And that's something that I think the front office needs to address personally. And I, and I think Mike would have said to you, uh, I understand what you're saying, but here's also what he's thinking. It's not just, like I said earlier, Reyes Gallegos for tomorrow. But if we're going to get in this thing and we're going to win this thing, I'm going to ride these guys really hard in August and September. So if I can buy a night off, that I, I even though it's the Cubs and OVA, all these things, we, I still got to do it because I still have the chance to look at the bigger picture. And it just didn't work out. And the worst part of it all, Dan... That's what they wanted to do, and then they still had to go to both of them. Yeah, and so now you have. That's the only thing I didn't like was Gallegos coming in at the end and to clean up the inning. And I understand why you did it. It was a one-run game. Um, your percentages of coming back against Kimbrel are not great. I mean, he's he is filthy. God, he's good. Oh, he's he's back to being. He might be better than he was at his elite status, and he's elite again. But I mean, the best that he was in years past, and. So I don't know if I would have used him there, but I, you know, again, I get it. You're one run game. I, I, I got to have faith in my guys to come back, walk into one, tie it up, win it an extra, whatever. But didn't happen. Uh, Ed Lynch is coming up. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. And Cardinals tonight, you can see the game on Valley Sports Midwest. That's at 6.30. That's BK. I'm Danny Mack. And uh, really looking forward to having the distinct pleasure to visit with a former general manager, former player, pitcher in the big leagues, and a guy that has been around baseball all his life and one of the real good people in baseball, and that's uh, former Cubs GM Ed Lynch. Hey, Ed, thanks for uh, hopping on with us, and we uh, really appreciate your time. How are you? I'm doing good, and thanks for the invitation. You got it. Uh, I got to ask you are, you, are you still following the game as closely as you once were? Do you have a role in the game? What, what's baseball like for Ed Lynch now? Well, no, I'm, I'm no longer employed in the game. I actually have my own real estate company now in Scottsdale, Arizona, but I still 
you know, I have a cursory understanding of what's going on and, uh, I don't follow it obviously like I did when I was working in the industry, but I still have a, you know, a strong interest in the game. As you said, I've been involved in the game most of my life. So what's uh, more stressful trying to sell that house in this market or trying to make a good deal at the deadline? (laughs) Selling the house is easy, Dan. It's the buying that's the problem right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's easy to sell houses. It's hard to find houses to sell. So that's the problem. So. We're talking to Ed Lynch here on 101 ESPN. Hey, when you look at back at your career with the Cubs as a general manager, Ed, what what is the single biggest accomplishment in your mind that that you look back on? And you're like, you know, I'm I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of what we accomplished with that one right there. Whether it be a move, a season, what was the thing that you were most proud of of your general manager career? Well, I think the 1998 season is something we're all very proud about. You know, we were horrible in '97, and then we came back. And we uh, got to the postseason in 98 in a very exciting year. You know, uh, as you guys know, it was the year where Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire went head-to-head. And those two guys were the two most famous athletes in the world. And then we had a young pitcher named Kerry Wood come up in his fifth major league start, struck out 20 hitters. And it was a close battle the entire season. And it all came down to a one-game playoff for the wild card at the end of the 98 season. So I think 98 us winning that game made us a postseason team, which was a, you know, was a heck of an accomplishment, especially when you were so horrible the year before. So I think the 98 season is something a lot of us in Chicago were proud of. I'm really curious from the Chicago perspective of the general manager watching Sammy. So, so I was doing the games in St. Louis, still doing them. Uh, and so I was around McGuire and it was, you know, Paul Bunyan rolling into you know, your your various ballparks and hotels and the place was going nuts. What was it like uh, from the Chicago perspective and having a Dominican-born player doing this too from that perspective as well, which is great to see. And it became just such an international sensation, not just Chicago, St. Louis, and the United States, but really internationally. No, there's no doubt. I think Sammy Sosa might have been the single most famous athlete in the world by the end of 1998. You know, usually it's a European car driver or South American uh, soccer player, but, you know, Sammy and, and Mark too, they had that kind of global appeal and, and, you know, coming off the strike in 94, uh, the game, you know, the game was in trouble uh, starting in 95. I remember we had trouble selling out Wrigley field with a good team in 95. So I think the fact that those guys went head to head and, and uh, you know, Sammy really embraced it. Sammy actually loved the attention. I know no that was a little more, a little more, you know, standoffish, you know, a little shyer, didn't really like the fact that he had to do a press conference before every game, no matter what he did the day before, and answering the same questions over and over. But I can tell you from my perspective, Sammy Sosa absolutely loved it, and he just embraced it. And I remember every day going down the stretch, we were in a tough pennant race for the wild card, and we had to deal with this too. And so – Sammy was great. You know, he had pregame press conference, 100 writers, postgame press conference, 100 press people there, television, radio, print media, you name it. Uh, it wasn't like it is today, but still, it was it was unbelievable. And I remember when we finally got to Atlanta to open up the postseason series against the Braves, it was like we took a deep breath. Wow, we only have 50 press people here now instead of 150, you know, so and it's a postseason. So it was a memorable year, but Sammy made it so much easier for us because he absolutely embraced it and never said no to anybody. And I remember here in St. Louis in that 98 season, the, the pregame stuff, the, the batting practice was almost as significant as the game itself because everybody got to see Big Mac going through his BP. 
What was that like in Chicago as you would see Sammy Sosa doing his pregame routine? Well, you know, Sammy, Sammy had a little different pregame routine. He tried to, you know, go through the standard, you know, go the other way, this kind of thing. And, you know, we still had a lot of appeal, but I remember we went into St. Louis for that series where Mark wound up hitting number 61 or 62, excuse me, off Steve Traxel. And I stood right by the batting cage before the first game of that series. And I swear on my deathbed, I will swear. I saw Mark McGuire hit 10 consecutive balls in the upper deck in left field. Now I pitched in that ballpark for eight years as a Met in the, in the eighties. And I never saw anybody hit a ball up there in batting practice or the game. I remember where uh, somebody hit a ball off the window of that restaurant out there. It was a talk of the league and he's hitting balls 50 feet above that and 50 feet further. And he hit it 10 in a row. And I just could not believe the raw power this guy showed. So it was incredible. And we may never see that kind of raw power again. Maybe not. Ed Lynch is our guest, former Cubs GM, also pitched in the major leagues. Ed, how comfortable did you feel getting a call from the Cardinals or vice versa around this time of year? Mm -hmm. I bet you get itchy around this time of year, a trade deadline. But did you ever feel comfortable dealing with the Cardinals? Well, back then, you know, there was not a lot of love lost between the New York Mets and the St. Louis Cardinals in the mid-'80s. You know, really, it it reached a fever pitch when Keith Hernandez came over in the trade. June 15, 1983, where Keith Hernandez came to the Mets for, for Neil Allen and Rick Ownby. And I know, you know, Keith is still a very good friend of mine, and he never really talks about it much, but I know there was some friction there between him and Whitey Herzog. And, you know, two Hall of Fame caliber player, manager, very super competitive, and there was a lot of friction there. And so when he came over to our club, we were a bad club. You know, we got the best player, and our, from our perspective, we got the best player on the defending world champion to come to our club for, for, two, uh, a reliever, for two relievers. So we, we could not believe our luck. And he came over and changed the atmosphere and changed our way of thinking. And, you know, right around that time, we started getting players like Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry and Ron Darling and uh, Sid Fernandez and Lenny Dykstra and, you know, name one after the other. Uh, um, you know, Roger McDowell, all these good young players, pitchers started coming up and, and Keith was our leader. So um, I don't think the Cardinals probably want to do another deal with the Mets after that one. How about with the Cubs though? Did you feel comfortable with the Cubs making a deal with the Cardinals? No, no, not really. <laughs> no, no. You know, back then it was such, you know, you just didn't deal in your division and, you know, they were our arch rival and um, no, I didn't feel comfortable at all doing that. So um, no, the answer to your question in one word is no. I did not feel gotcha. comfortable at all. Well, well put. That's all we need. And we talk so <laughs> much about the, the trades that actually take place. Is there any one that you were close on that didn't happen that either you look back on and say, dang, if we could have gotten that done, or maybe it's the opposite and you say, man, it's the best thing that I ever did that we didn't end up getting that deal done. Well, I remember at the winter meetings, um, uh, Jim Edmonds was, became available and I made a strong, what I thought was a strong pitch to get him. And uh, he went to the Cardinals instead for Ken Bottenfield, I think was the deal. And I thought I had a better offer on the table. It was Ken Bottenfield and, uh, and Adam Kennedy. Yep, th- those were the two yeah. guys for Jimmy. Who did you have? Yeah, uh, well, I, I think, if I remember correctly, they wanted uh, Farnsworth. Our, our right-handed pitcher was sure. an up-and-coming, young, strong right-handed pitcher. And I was ready to do that deal. Jim Evans, to me, was a 
electrifying, game-changing type player. And, uh, you know, uh, as you said, some of the best trades you never made, uh, some of the best trades you make are the ones you never made. So um, I think that trade is the one that I'm, I'm a little disappointed we didn't make that deal. When you look back at some of the like the early 2000s, I know here in St. Louis, Walt Jockety was a guy that made a ton of deals, and it seemed like it was easier to get those done 20 years ago. And that's not to say it was simple. It wasn't. It was tough to get the deal done. But I think there were general managers around the league that were a little more lenient where they say, you know, if we've got prospects that you like and you've got a player that we want, you know, we can make a deal here. Do you get the sense that in today's game, it's a little bit more difficult to be able to pull off a deal as a general manager? Well, it seems to be. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, the focus is so much more intense now. I mean, we didn't have the internet, obviously. We didn't have bloggers. We didn't have all these outlets. You didn't have, you know, the fans had access to the same media outlets, basically through the internet that professionals did. So, you know, everybody now seems to want to think, well, there's always a winner and a loser in every trade, and that's not necessarily true. Sometimes there's two losers, sometimes there's two winners. And the second thing I think, there's so much focus on prospects now that, you know, people are, are really wary of trading young prospects. And, and, and it takes guts to go out there and, and trade maybe your third best player in your system for a guy that might come in and help you for two months to get to the postseason. But it all goes back to you have to make that decision. Are we buyers or are we sellers? That, that's, the big, that's the toughest decision. That is step one. And you're going to get input from your owner, obviously. So, I mean, for instance, if you're the, you know, the Cardinals right now and, you know, you are where you are or, or, or you're the Los Angeles Angels, you know, you're five and a half back, you're uh, behind the second wild card. You got three teams ahead of you, and you better hope those teams play each other because if they don't play each other, it's going to be that much harder to get by them. It's a zero-sum game. So, hey, we're only five and a half back. Yeah, but there's three teams ahead of us. And so not only do we have to win, but they have to lose. And if they're playing each other all the time, they're probably going to be splitting. And so if they split constantly, two out of three, then two out of three, I mean, it's hard to make up ground. I mean, you could always be the – the Rockies that one year where they won 22 out of 23 and went to the World Series. But it's tough to leapfrog teams ahead of you, especially if you're not playing them, you know. So it's a difficult road, and you have to make that tough decision. And nobody wants to come out and say, hey, we're sellers. You know, we're not going to try to win because we don't think we have a reasonable chance. And that takes guts, and you're going to make a lot of people unhappy. And on the other side, you don't want to be delusional and say, hey, we're six and a half back of the second wild card. Let's give up this really good pitching prospect for this guy we're going to have for two months. You don't want to do that. There seems to be a lot more reluctance to trade quote-unquote prospects. And, you know, if you ever want to do something, you know, very illuminating, go back and look at Baseball America prospects book from, say, pick a year, 2008 or 2010. You never even heard of half the guys. That's right. You know, every, every, everybody's stand usual until they get to the big leagues. Then they're Vinnie Boombots, you know? So, uh, <laughs> I got to so, use that line. Know, I love be, that. There, there's a lot of, lot of very tough decisions to be made. And nowadays, with the way prospects are valued and the, the media exposure you have, it, it is probably a little more difficult.
Ed, this is my final question. You, you've done just about everything in the game, which was playing in the major leagues. You were a 22nd round pick, and all of a sudden you make it to the big leagues. You've been a coach. You have been uh, wearing that GM hat and and had success in Chicago. What's been more enjoyable? Uh, and it's kind of a two-pronged question. Was it playing or being in a front office? And when you're playing, because I talk to players all the time, they're like, man, I'd love to get that guy or that guy. Well, you actually got the chance to do it. So what was that like, the transition from being in uniform to going to a front office? Well, you know, I was a pitcher. So what pitchers do during batting practice, we go in the outfield in the corner and we, you know, we just run the club. You know, we run the of course we, we work the we work the trade. Why is the guy taking this route to the airport, the bus driver? You know, we got all the answers. But when you're in that seat, there's so many other factors and you have a person who's called an owner, you know, above you. So you don't, you're not living in a laboratory environment. I mean, these are real consequences. These are real players. And when you trade that player that turns out to be a heck of a player, I mean, it's hard to watch them, especially if it's in your league or, well, there's inner league now, but if you, that's why, you know, if I trade with the Cardinals, when I'm with the Cubs, I got to look at that player now, you know, three times a year, four times a year for the rest of my life, you know? So uh, there is a little reluctance there. And there is, there are consequences that you don't really think about when you're out there just kind of like winging it in the outfield as a player. Absolutely. Hey, Ed, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. It's, it's great insight. Um, Always enjoyed visiting with you when you were coming through St. Louis, you were always first class and uh, well, good luck in the real estate market too, (laughs) most importantly right now, but thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks so much, guys, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to come on your show. You got it. That's uh, Ed Lynch, a former Major League pitcher, and then uh, he he's done. A t- if you look at his resume, I mean, he's one of those lifers. I know he's selling homes right now. I get it, real estate, but uh, he was really good too. Um, never had a problem in Chicago, major media market, and made it to the postseason as he talked about. Had some fairly decent teams that came up just a little bit short, but. Love getting the perspective of those guys of what this time of year is like, the trade deadline for a GM. And I loved that last answer where he said every every deal that you make has some consequences. Sure it does. And you if you end up making the wrong deal and the guy that you send elsewhere goes on to have a lot of success, thank God that has not happened here in St. Louis. Um when that guy goes on to have success Wait elsewhere. Wait a minute here. Um sometimes that is very difficult to, you know, to, to swallow as as a general manager. And it can prevent you from making deals in the future. That being said, I think that what he said before that is even more important for what the Cardinals are dealing with right now. I don't know what they do. I still believe when he's in this talking team. about being six and a half out in the wild card. And do you have a realistic shot? I think the Cardinals are now seven and a half, eight out in the wild card, maybe There's seven so- out of the wild card. Right so now. do you and, and he made the point that's so valid, BK, which is you have to look at the other teams that you, you you're not just chasing one team. You're chasing yep. a bunch and if you don't have the head the heads which he said you might split then you got to look at other things so realistically where are you and that's that's not an easy thing to figure out you right now are behind the Padres Reds and Phillies in the wild card standings and you are tied with the Cubs and the Braves as well so there is just a muddled middle right now in sure. the National League and you're a part of that the question is what are these teams around you going to do could the Phillies be sellers it's conceivable. Could the Cubs be sellers? I would expect them to be. Could the Braves be sellers? That's absolutely in play for them. So maybe they get worse and you end up getting better. And by virtue of what you do at the deadline, you end up jumping those teams. The other question is in the division. That might be the easier. It is the easier route for the Cardinals to be able to make the playoffs because of the head to head matchups that Ed was just talking about with the Brewers. 
But what are the Brewers going to do at the deadline? And how does that play into what you decide to do? All of this stuff is interrelated. It's a tough time to be a general manager in baseball right now, and in particular in the spot that the Cardinals are in. Did a uh, season ticket holder event this weekend for the Cardinals and John Mosellock, who is really good in these events, because what we always say is, hey, season ticket holders have invested in the family, the business, right? They're putting their hard-earned money to buy tickets, and so try to put on a nice night for him. Brad Thompson actually was the alumni that night and did a Q&A with him, and he was signing autographs. And then Mo will give some insight. And to what Ed was saying, it made me just think of it right away when he said, man, you make a trade and that guy leaves your organization and then goes on and has great success. Uh, Mo was kind of, he said, boy, there were times in the postseason this year I had to turn around or turn away from the TV when Randy Rosarena was up. I mean, they feel it, you know. Sure. Now, again, I've always said you got to take the long-term view of deals, especially those kind of deals. Rosarena was Babe Ruth in, in the fall. He's come back down to earth, and Matthew Libertor is one of the top prospects in baseball, and you see how it plays out. But Did you know I, Harrison Bader has a better OPS this yes. year than Randy Rosarena? Right, and that's not brought up very much. But in the moment, you're like, man, that's exactly what the Cardinals needed, and he's doing it on the biggest stage, and you're going, that's our guy. Again, you got to pump the brakes a little bit, and I understand. Hey, I, I was sitting there watching him going, yeah, the guy hit 347 Absolutely. in Memphis and you know, didn't really get much of a run here, so... You understand that. But I, I, if I was sitting in that seat, whew, beat some tough phone calls to say, do I really want to give up this guy? Because I know that if we let him develop a little bit, he's got a shot. Or I really like this guy. I like him. I think he's a good player. Do I really want to give? And then he goes and signs and does a four-year deal with somebody and becomes a difference maker. That's the risk you run, but that's why you're paid the money you're paid. And what's ironic with the Randy Rosarena deal and why I was critical of it at the time and continued to be certainly throughout the postseason. And I, I might I very well maybe and I'm coming around to the possibility. I've just flat out been wrong on my assessment of that deal. At the time I looked at it, and I'm like, man, the Cardinals need an outfielder. They, needed them. they have pitching and they traded an outfielder that can hit for more pitching. Well, now you look at it, man, I love this Cardinals outfield. This starting trio looks really good for the here and now and for the future. I like Bader and center. Carlson and O'Neill look like they're going to be future starters for you. What can this team use? Man, they could really use some more pitching. And so a year later, suddenly the deal makes a ton of sense for the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I you know, you were looking at that deal and you say, okay, who are we betting on? A Rosarena or Lane Thomas? Probably bet on the wrong guy right now. We'll see how it plays out. Don't know yet. Or Bader. I Bader wasn't going to go anywhere. So I'm with you, but you've got the three in the outfield. Oh yeah, now. yeah. But I'm just talking about Bader those two. When you decided to make that deal, That's who you fair. betting on? You know what I mean? And those were the two guys. And you know, at this point, it looks like you know Lane Thomas is still trying to find traction. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. I don't know if you noticed this, BK, but the uh, Cardinals will face one of the all-time great pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball. Well, only against the Cardinals. It's Kyle Hendricks tonight. He's pretty darn good. He's a hell of a pitcher, and what he does is he stays inside of the zone. He throws a hell of a lot of strikes, and that seems to be an issue at times. So the Cardinals are 47-48, Cubs 47-48. Last time, both teams were under 500 on July 21st, 1999. Wow. 99. Every uh, the last 10 years, either the Cubs or the Cardinals have been into postseason play, and that would be potentially in jeopardy this year. 
Cardinals are three and seven through the first 10 games of the season against the Cubs. And it's the first time since 07 the Cardinals have dropped seven of the first 10 against their rivals, the Chicago Cubs. So there's nine games between the teams and the Cardinals would have to finish nine and two to finish the season above 500 against Chicago. And they need to not maybe not nine and two, but they need to finish the season with a big time record against the Cubs because this is a team that should be behind you in the standings, whether it's now or later on this season. The Cubs have signaled that they're going to be sellers at the deadline. You're going for it conceivably this year. That's a team that you got to finish ahead of. So uh, last night, ninth inning, six runs on three hits for the Cubs. Previous 27 innings against Chicago prior to the ninth last night, three runs on 18 hits. Baseball be baseball sometimes, and that was the case last night. few uh, MLB uh, notes and news to tell you about. YouTube game of the week. It made history. All-female broadcast crew. Rays beat the Orioles 9-3. to Orioles radio play-by-play announcer Melanie Newman was on the call for the game. MLB.com writer Sarah Lang serving as the color analyst. She's really great into the numbers and digging up history and whatnot. Really good with that. Alana Rizzo was on the field uh, as a reporter. Heidi Watney and Lauren Gardner anchoring both the pre- and the post-game coverage. Oh, one. The heel. I love to see it as the father of two daughters. It's great. It's groundbreaking. And we're seeing that more and more in sports, which is uh, the way it should be. The best people at their job should get the opportunities that are available to them, regardless of who you are, where you came from, what your background is. This is awesome, Dan. And we need to see more of that. So the Washington Nationals, their GM, Mike Rizzo, doesn't plan on having Starlin Castro back with the team this season. Castro placed on administrative leave July 16th by MLB as it investigates a domestic violence accusation. Tigers Spencer Turnbull to have season-ending Tommy John surgery. That does play into the Cardinals. They have a few games left with Detroit coming up. The schedule, by the way, for the Cardinals, you start looking at it, there are winnable games. Now, we've said this before, and they went through that time where it was under 500 teams, and you said, okay, here's where you make hay, but you know what? The Cardinals have that chance, especially after this weekend. Yeah, yesterday, midway through the game, I started looking at the schedule. I was like, ah, this could be the start of something really special. 23 of their next 34 games come against the Cubs, which felt like a good thing midway through that one last night. Oh, no, no, it up until the ninth, so we are almost done with it. That's correct. Okay. The Cubs, the Twins, the Royals, Pirates, Tigers. That's 23 of the next 34. That's a lot of really bad teams that are going to be selling off pieces to make them even worse over the next week or so. So it it's still right there. I know coming off of last night, there is a bad taste in your mouth as a Cardinals fan, and that is totally fair. Cardinals are still in this thing. I know it might not feel like it today, but they are. So the uh, the Red Sox may get healthier here down the stretch. Chris Sale, three and two-thirds, no-hit baseball, six strikeouts at a double-A rehab start. Jared Pettit, son of three-time All-Star lefty Andy Pettit, agreed to terms with the Marlins as an undrafted free agent. wonder if he had a connection there. Yeah, that guy Jeter. Who? That that the, They were teammates in New York, part of the big four Mets. or whatever. No, no, no. Was, he a part of, was, was Jeter a part of those six Mets? No, no. There was not. a curveball. There was a famous one. You probably heard about it. So Jeter was with the Yankees. Damn. Yankees. Oh, that guy. Yes. Derek. So, so Derek Jeter. Oh, Derek okay. Jeter. 
And uh, Jared Pettit is now with the Marlins. And Oakland finally approves a new ballpark term sheet. A say not effective path forward. Their president during the session that the new term sheet consisting of city amendments is not a business partnership that works for us. That Rob, sounds familiar. <laughs> Rob Manfred, for the last four years of my request and urging the A's have invested significant resources, made a major commitment to their community in the hopes of remaining as Oakland's only major professional sports franchise. We're disappointed the city council chose to vote on a proposal to which the A's had not agreed. We will immediately begin conversations with the A's to chart a path forward with the club and for their uh, situation in Oakland. Essentially, if memory serves correct, and I, again, I could be wrong about this. I think this goes back to like a blue ribbon committee in 06. Yeah, it does. So it's that far. I'm, I'm right about yep. that. That was off the top of my mind of of uh them trying to figure out a viable stadium pl- uh, plan since 06 because i remember man. it kind of tied in with the with the rams situ- i was just looking at different teams that were you know dealing with the rams kind of situation here and i wow 06 that's a long time it stinks because i i get where major league baseball is coming from on this side of things like it you, you do need to get a new stadium but what they're playing in right now is just you can't continue going down no. that route and the problem for the fans in Oakland is now they have a lot like it does. It's not the same as what the Rams did here in St. Louis by any stretch, but the 49ers no longer play in San Francisco. They are in Santa Clara. Now the golden state warriors no longer play in Oakland. They're over on the other side of the Bay. Like you've you're losing Raiders a lot of Vegas. your teams. Yeah. The, the Raiders actually leaving the area. You're losing your teams from that area. After this, Oakland will basically be without any professional sports teams and that sucks man and i i think it's gonna happen i think they're gonna follow the raiders and end up in vegas could be vegas um i'm really curious this is just something i'm gonna throw out at you but you're coming off the the pandemic my my gut tells me i'm gonna be positive here that we will have no stoppage of baseball next year because the money is just too great everybody's making money owners are making money players are making money figure it out Divvy up the pie. People are going to have to give in on various issues, but the pandemic forced that front and center, especially with with what baseball went through this time last year, BK, just to get back on the field. That was embarrassing. It was not good for baseball. They cannot have a shutdown. So advancing that, and we know owners didn't have fans in the stands last year. If Oakland would leave, I got to wonder, first of all, where they go. And it's all the usual suspects of, as you mentioned, Vegas, Portland, Nashville. Do you go to Mexico? Do you go back to Montreal? I mean, there's a lot of things going there. But I I also look expansion and I look at realignment as a way to get interest back in your game. A lot of regional rivalries and instantaneously big money in the pockets of owners because of expansion fees. And by the way, players are going to say this is great. That's 26 more major league jobs, potentially, you know, 40 or 52. And you might be having an expansion of a roster anyway to 27 next year. I've heard that. And you're talking about jobs in the minor leagues with eight different teams, potentially. So it's a win-win on a lot of fronts. And how many billions of dollars for the expansion? That's what I mean. That's the really big thing. You cut that up 30 different ways and suddenly the owners are able to line their pockets with a little bit of money. That is one of the ways. I'm not sure how baseball does this. I well, there's no cap, so it doesn't matter. Um, in a lot of sports, that's not all distributed through the cap, so you're able to actually line your pockets with that extra money. Um, that, 
that's how this is going to go, whether it's two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. That's something that baseball will eventually probably have to do. All right, good show. We have uh, Hall of Fame. I always look forward to visiting with Lee Smith. He's great. He's actually going to be coming back to St. Louis um, later this summer. But oh, nice. Lee Smith will be our guest tomorrow, so we'll talk about that. The Hall of Famer, and you have your show coming up uh, for the next three. Do indeed. We're going to start things off. It's It was a rough night. We're going to start things off by having a little bit of fun. From what I understand, Alex put together an open for today. Uh, I'm sure that's going to go really well for me. So we'll get into that coming up to open things up. Coming up at 1130, David Pagnotta. All of the expansion draft uh, is basically out right now. So we're going to talk to him about some of the leaked Picks. We'll get into that coming up at 1130. And Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, will join us coming up at 130. BK, Tanner, Danny Mack, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. You've been listening to The Danny Mack Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.